Good morning. It's nice to be in the presence of friends, but I must admit, it's a bit of a lonely feeling up here, and we need to pray. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, we thank you for your presence, which has been promised to us, and I pray that you will take my stumbling words and do a miracle with them that we will be drawn closer to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. I gave some thought to the title of the sermon this morning because it can be read several ways. It all depends where the emphasis is or the emphasis. What on earth was Jesus thinking? Or what on earth was Jesus thinking? And I need to ask a question. How many people at the time of Christ's birth on this earth understood his mission? Not many. There were Simeon and Anna. And even Simeon was talking about the consolation of Israel, the relief. There was a bunch of wise men on a camel or camels. There is not much evidence that many people understood the mission of Christ. And so I ask in the year 2018, are we in the same situation? Oh, come on, you say. We're loyal Adventists. We're the people of the book. We know what it's all about. Do we? You know, Jesus had a recurring theme that was recorded 120 times in the Gospels. And yet, the message is so important that Satan has worked very hard to smudge it all, and we use it as a cliche and don't really know what Christ's message, his theme was all about. It was almost an obsession. And uh, Sabbath afternoons after I've done some home missions and lay activities, we'll flick around the, the holy channels, hear a bit of John Carter and I hear a bit of this. And occasionally you come across the tele-evangelists and you hear a lot of insipid sermons because we have a lot of insipid Christianity. What do you think of this? Modern Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it would not hurt anyone. And if it were medicine, it would not cure anyone. So I want to go and tell the story. And it might appear a little bit ludicrous, but it has a message for me and hopefully for you. Let's make a start. This is the South Morningside School in Edinburgh, Scotland, in 1957. 
and I remember it well. There I am. I'm glad nobody's sniggering. Obviously, I worked for British Airways in those days, and I want you to meet some of the people. Mr. Arthur Wardlaw, MA, he was our teacher. He was a strong Presbyterian. He took his work seriously, and in his back pocket, he carried the tours. I don't know if you know what the tours were or are. There was a leather strap about that long. He would hold one end and we would fleetingly hold the other end as it flew past us. I remember these people well. well there was my younger brother. He was to actually get past me in school, but we were still in the same grade. And uh, he was always up the top of the class, sitting next to this girl, Anne Mather, who was always the top. Now, in those days, you imagine a classroom with different tiers of seating. Every week we would have an exam in maths and English. And uh, on Monday morning, we would all be standing down the front, and Mr. Wardlaw would read out the names. And the first name was always Anne Mather. And she would go up and sit in the top left-hand corner. And next to her was usually Gordon Hammond. And I'll tell you where I sat. I sat next to this this boy, David Bell. Otherwise known as Dumbbell. And uh, looking at him now, I see that there was an abused child. He really was, had everything going against him. And he sat down the bottom right-hand corner next to me. Sometimes we would swap positions. In those days, I was not a scholar. I was really struggling in school. I'm not terribly proud of it. But there are more people here. And uh, Gordon Leach... Hope is no relation to you, Bob, but if he's still alive, he's probably in prison. And uh, I want to talk about him for a while. Because every morning, we would all stand and bow our heads, and Mr. Wardlaw would start to say the Lord's Prayer. And we were all supposed to shut our eyes and say the Lord's Prayer with him. Our Father, which art in heaven. Well, most of the girls had their eyes shut because they believed apparently in salvation by works. Most of the boys didn't. And Gordon Leach, who was the class clown, let me tell you something about the class clown. Class clown is always going to get himself into trouble because the next day he has to do something a little funnier than the day before. He developed the trick of uh, slipping off his shoes. He was in the second row, so he wasn't dumb. Uh, He would slip off his shoes as the Lord's Prayer started. And in his stocking feet, he would start to move around the, the room. Our Father, which art in heaven, he was in the middle aisle by then. Hallowed be thy name, and he would have come down the front. 
And then when we got to the trespassers bit, he would start to do a circle around Mr. Wardlaw. Let me tell you, Mr. Wardlaw, as a good Presbyterian, would not open his eyes during prayer, ever. And Gordon Leach knew that. If a meteorite came in that side and went out that side, he would not open his eyes. And we would be having conniptions. It absolutely ruined the Lord's Prayer for me for many, many years. It gets worse. He would get behind Mr. Wardlaw and he would go like this. And we were just about dying a hundred deaths. Until the fateful day. He came to school carrying something you don't see these days, but a lot of you people remember it. It was his mother's hat pin. Do you remember those wickedly long things with a pearl on the end? Well, he went around, stood behind Mr. Wardlaw, and pretended to jab him in the backside. Every class has a snitch. And here she is, Dorothy Yellowlees. She must have warned Mr. Wardlaw. Now, when Mr. Wardlaw prayed, he prayed with his hands behind his back, and he had a cadence where he would rock on his heels. It's still in my mind, our Father, which art in heaven, and he'd be rocking backwards and forwards. And uh, we were round about the trespassers bit when he took a step backwards. And we who were watching realized that he had Gordon Leach by the wrist. Well, he got our father all right after that. It was actually his last week at the school. I'll just finish the story because uh, it was that wonderful time of the year around the 5th of November. Come on, remember, remember. What was it? I might get into trouble for saying this. But I believe that the two saddest days in Australian history is when they banned fireworks and scavenging at the tip. Anyhow, this day, Gordon Leach had brought along a bag of thunders. Now, these just weren't the little Tom... Remember the Tom Thumbs? Forget these. They almost looked like jelly knives. Real, oh boy, did they go off. It was thunder, all right, with a bang. And uh, he had a bag of these, and we were fascinated. Well, Mr. Wardlaw was a chain smoker, and his tobacco smelled a lot like gunpowder, I guess. And every half hour or so, he would go out and have a quiet puff, and then he would come in. And while he was out, one of these old-fashioned classrooms with a window right up there, and Gordon Leach lit one of these things, and he threw it out the window, and there's this thunderous bang. And uh, Mr. Wardlaw and Forbes McGregor, the principal, were racing around trying to work out where it was coming from. 
not realizing it was coming out of a classroom. Well, then uh, Gordon Leach realized that he could increase the excitement level by lighting it and holding it. And we all transfixed, watched the wick burning down. At the last minute, he would throw it out. He realized that the closer you got to the end of the wick, the more exciting it was. And it was almost ready to go. And the door opened and then walked Mr. Wardlaw. I'll tell you the rest of the story some other time. No, no. (laughs) Gordon Leach was a quick thinker. He opened the nearest desk, which happened to belong to Dorothy Yellowlees. And you know about boys' desks and girls' desks. The boys' desks, well, the girls' desk, everything is neat and tidy, all right? The boys' desk, there's bits of paper, a dead mouse, a frog, and rubbish, apple cores. Well, he put it in her desk and sat on it. Oh, boy. About a second later, there was a monster. And Mr. Wardlow just walked in. You remember the old inkwells in the desk? No inkwell ever left the desk as fast as that one did. Mr. Wardlaw jumped. We all jumped. Gordon Leach jumped. And he was taken away from school. I think he went to a reformatory. Why doesn't the gospel attract people today? You know, the Lord's Prayer was ruined for me. Probably took 30 or 40 years. Because whenever I tried to say the Lord's Prayer, a preacher would say, uh, the person taking their prayer, and you'd hear the words at the end, and as you have taught us to say, and the congregation says the Lord's Prayer, all I could think of was Gordon Leach and bungers. We are very self-centered as a human race. That is a picture of earth, the furthest picture of earth ever taken by the Voyager spacecraft, which was launched 40 years ago this week and has been heading away from Earth at the speed of 64,000 kilometers an hour for 40 years. And they turned the lens back. It has now left our solar system, but before it left, they turned it back and they pointed at Earth. That, that uh, line is just from the photographic uh, equipment. And there is Earth from a range of 6 billion kilometers. So there you are, folks. There's a group photograph there. But it was a little planet in rebellion. From space, there are far fewer beautiful planets than planet Earth. By the way, I had to look for a long, long time on the internet to find a picture of Earth from space that didn't have the US of A on the front of it. I found Australia just the way it should be. And our Earth was the jewel in God's creation. I really need your imagination to come with me. The Heavenly Council is meeting. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And God says, I've got one more creation up my sleeve. It is going to be exquisite. It'll even look nice as we fly in from space. And I'll tell you why it's going to be so special. It will have the imprint of God. I will make creatures who will look just like me. And that's love for you. And this will be an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. It'll be earth. He made it. And I'm in my imagination. I can see the angels all focused around on the last day of creation. What is God doing? He's kneeling down. He's making something out of clay. And when he stands back, there is this absolutely perfect image. It is God in clay. And then they see God kneel down and breathe. And it comes to life. And there is man. God must have been so proud of it. He was so proud of it that he would come down and walk and talk with Adam and Eve. And he had some instructions. Let's read in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Just say with these words. In our likeness and let them rule or have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That is a very inclusive text. There is one thing that's missing. Is there anything in that text that says that man was to rule over each other? It was a perfect, perfect world. But man lost the kingdom. He committed the worst crime in the book. What is the worst crime on the statutes of rules and laws in our country? Somebody tell me. It's not murder. It's not adultery. It is not rape. What is it? High treason. Adam and Eve committed high treason. And the power went to a usurper. The planet Earth became the vagabond kingdom. You imagine, Genesis tells me that God would visit Adam and Eve and walk with them in the cool of the day. And I imagine that would be in the evening. He would look forward to it. They would look forward to it and on this day he met them and they were hiding and they were naked and he said you've got to go you've committed treason you know we think of Adam and Eve as sunset that night they were thrust out of the gates and the Bible tells us there was a sword being flashed backwards and forwards just to tell them they were not going back. 
What do you think God did that night? I'm sure he cried. It was dreadful. There were many, many tears. It was a terrible, terrible day in heaven. You know, Jesus came to redeem the kingdom lost. And the reason he came to earth was to restore the relationship, the intimate relationship that man had had with God and God had had with man. That is the ultimate purpose. Our salvation and everything is in there. And so I've got a whole lot of re-words. You know what re means? To return to an earlier time. Redeem, revive, restore, repent, reconcile, resurrection, return, recompense, renew, reward. I could go on. Do you know that most of those words, are the significant ones, are actually ancient legal terms referring to land, to restore the land, the kingdom that was lost, the kingdom of heaven, the outpost of heaven. You know, I like these words because it gives me an opportunity to use one smart word. These are the salvific words of our salvation. I like to say at least one big word in the sermon to impress people. But you know, the world degraded bit by bit. And Galatians, Paul sums it up. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Yeah, from the time Adam and Eve left the kingdom and the population of this earth grew, imagine the intellects that they had turned to wickedness and God was so distraught with what had happened in his kingdom, his highest creation. They had a heavenly council and they said, look, it's out of control. We're going to have to destroy them and just save a few people and some animals, set them afloat and destroy the world. The world must have been unbelievably wicked. And so the flood came and took them all away. And then God started again. He, he said to Moses, I want to establish a new kingdom of priests and you will be my priests and his kingdom of priests had to leave their bones after wandering in the desert for 40 years and then they wanted a king they forgot about the kingdom of heaven we want to be have kings like the other nations and God finally said okay go for it and that mentality got so bad that the kings of Israel became so wicked that before the Babylonian conquest, you read that mothers were eating their own children. God must have wept. And then we had the Roman Empire, which was so cruel and so harsh. And the vision of God are all but dissipated. 
But when the time had fully come, he wasn't going to let Satan say, Oh, you let Jesus be born at a time of prosperity. No, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem, that's a legal word, referring to land, to buy it back. Those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And so he sent an advance messenger in the form of John the Baptist. This is a very enigmatic text. From the days of John the Baptist until the present, the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing and violent people have been attacking it. John had the vision. He knew it was going to cost him his life and people heard it. They were so excited. They were forcefully pushing the concept of the kingdom of heaven. Well, we don't hear much of Jesus until he was 30 years of age, but there was just a little interlude when he was 12. Friends, when I get to the kingdom and I can have a personal conversation with Christ, I'm going to ask him, what happened in those three days when you were 12 years of age? What did you talk about? He absolutely mesmerized them. He was, as he said to his mother, I was about my father's business. Even at the age of 12, he knew what he was about. What was his mission? Well, in this world, even before I retired, we entered that dreadful uh, period of time called the Strategic Management Plan. And if you've been working, you've had that thrust upon you, and you have to have a vision statement, and then you have to have a mission statement, and then from that you plan what you are going to do. Here's an example. Coca-Cola, of course, is done in your fridge. And here is the vision statement on the right, but the mission statement says, to refresh the world to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. What was the mission statement of Christ? It starts with one word, which virtually says, whoa, do a U-turn. Because that's what the word repent Preaching his first sermon in Capernaum, he released his mission statement. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And 120 times as he was talking, as is recorded, he used the word, the kingdom of heaven. Turn around, you're heading in the wrong direction the kingdom of heaven is hand. In actual fact, the kingdom of heaven had commenced as he came out of the desert from these temptations. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're here. 
Even then the people were understanding because they wanted him to set up a kingdom right there and then. And 120 times, it's just time after time after time. Here's just a selection. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, even after his resurrection. It was still his preoccupying theme to whom the, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. One of the most celebrated occasions in scripture is where Nicodemus came by night. And we all know these words. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, but what happens after that? What's the rest of the text? He cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, we are so focused on heaven, and even when we sing the last hymn, it'll all be when we all get to heaven. We can be so focused on heaven we don't always consider the kingdom. So what are we supposed to do? Well, here is the key text. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Well, let's dress it up a bit and make it look important. Ah, that's better. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So what does it mean? Well, let's show some ambassadorial photos. When you become an ambassador, you don't ride up on your motorbike. In fact, it is such an important occasion, the host country will usually provide a carriage, or a Rolls Royce at least, and you go along in style because what is about to happen is a very, very important occasion. So there you trot. And when you uh, met, it is not a g'day, you know where to go. This is uh, John F. Kennedy's daughter, Caroline, as she arrived to be, become the ambassador of the United States to Japan. Now, she's got something that she's going to be presenting. But here they come. As you can tell, it's a grand occasion. Oh, don't they look pleased with themselves? Oh, yes, we look very pleased with ourselves. And when you get there, you present something to the ruler. And here is Her Majesty the Queen receiving 
the credentials of a new ambassador. What is on that piece of paper? Well, it happens a few times. It is extremely important. There are some characteristics of an ambassador. First is they are appointed by the king or the ruler. They are not voted into office. None of our ambassadors are selected by parliament. They are appointed by the governor general. They are appointed to represent the kingdom. That is their sole responsibility. They are committed only to the state's interests. They embody the nation, state, or kingdom. The ambassador represents, if you're an ambassador for Australia in the Philippines, as you walk about, you only have one responsibility. You represent Australia. You are totally covered by the states. You are the responsibility of the state. You are totally protected by the state. If anybody harms an ambassador, they are harming the country that they represent. You never become a citizen of the state or kingdom to which you are assigned. Some of you will remember the worst diplomatic incident that we have ever had in Australia. It happened back in 1952. The something affair. The Petrov affair. Petrov was only the third secretary in the Russian embassy... And he defected, and the heavies from Russia arrived to escort his wife back to Russia. She didn't want to go. In fact, when they bundled her onto the plane at Sydney Airport, a lot of Russian refugees who had escaped the communist regime tried to actually prevent her from getting on the plane. The next time this plane touched down was in Darwin. And an air hostess waited until Mrs. Petrov went to the bathroom and followed her in and said, do you want to go to Russia or do you want to stay in Australia? And she said, well, I want to stay in Australia. And it was absolutely sensational. sensational. They had to get her away from the two heavies. It is absolute horrific when an ambassador defects, their position is so important. You can only be recalled by the king or ruler. You have access to all the kingdom's wealth for your assignment. You never speak your personal position on any issue, only what the nation wants of you. And your goal is to influence the territory for his kingdom. A few years ago, I was in Beijing. Now, I was wanting to catch the train to go to the general conference, going by train from Beijing to London through Russia. And there was a question on my passport. So I went to the Australian embassy. And there were the guards at the gate, armed with rifles. All I had to do was to produce my passport, come in. And when I went in, there was... In the waiting area, a copy of the Sydney Morning Herald. And I looked at it, and an official walked by. He said, you look pleased to see the Sydney Morning Herald. I said, yes. 
He said, I want to tell you something. You are actually in Australia at this moment. Wow, I was so impressed. He said something else. He said, when you get in the ambassador's car, it will have diplomatic plates. And as it drives down the road, there is a bit of Australia driving down the road. Now, folks, if I was to get in my little Mazda and belt down the M1 at 160 kilometers an hour, I'd probably get as far as Sparks Road before I was stopped and told that I'd be walking for the rest of my life. But if you had diplomatic plates on your car and you're the ambassador from China and you are traveling at 200 kilometers an hour and the police come roaring after you and they get behind and they see your number plates, they will pull back. Because that's a bit of China racing down the road and they will not touch an ambassador. And when you are an ambassador and your mail arrives, no customs officer will open your bags or open your mail because it is absolutely sacred. Am I giving you the impression that an ambassador is an important role? Well, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's the Constitution of Australia. Is there anybody here suffering from insomnia? There's your cure. Start reading that. What was the Constitution of the Kingdom of Heaven? It might surprise you. Here it is on one page. It is so succinct, it is so beautiful, it is the constitution of the king of heaven. And instead of saying blessed, say happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so we go on. It's just a beautiful, beautiful message. Well, how did Christ promote the kingdom of heaven? Did he have seminars? No. Promotional campaigns? No. Sessions? No. Conferences? No. Rallies? No. PR experts? No. I haven't found a text in the Bible that says he used PowerPoint. So what did he do? He told stories. It was beautiful. What does the ambassador give to the ruler? He gives a letter of credence. That's a French term. And that is that you are fair dinkum. That you are here by authority. What are the credentials of the kingdom of heaven? Here they are. Now let me read it to you. And then we'll read it together. Our Father, which art in heaven... They were starting straight off. I am ambassador to the Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Here are the words. Thy kingdom come. This is what Christ spoke about. This was the perfect prayer that his disciples asked him to teach them. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't have to worry because my wages are being taken care of. God will look after me. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive them that trespass against us. I will be as gracious to other people as God is to me. What a wonderful credential to pass as an ambassador. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, in case you didn't get the message, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to read it with me. I had to read this and had to learn all over again, thanks to Gordon Leach. This was the credentials of an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. Let's read it slowly and savor it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever Amen what a wonderful thing to be able to present as a credential you know Jesus stands at the door and he knocks and we all know there's no door handle and he wants us to open the door. And so often we do. We accept Jesus, but what happens then? Do we just stand at the doorway and say, that's a beautiful doorknob? Oh, look at the, the woodwork. Look at the fastenings. No, we have to step through and we do something. Dr. Maxwell Maltz, he now passed away, was an eminent plastic surgeon. A lady came to see him one day and said, uh, I need you to do something for me. And he, as was his practice, looked very carefully at her face. He could see no deformity. He said, uh, what do you want me to do? He, she said, I want you to uh, deface me and make me look terrible. He said, why? She said, 10 years ago, uh, we had a fire and my husband's parents died in the fire and he tried to rescue them and he couldn't, but he was terribly burnt in his face. And he has not left his room since he came home from hospital. He won't even let me see him. So why do you want me to do this? Because I want you to disfigure me so that he will accept me. When he sees me, he knows that I have the same affliction. Dr. Maxwell Moss said, let's go, lady. Where to? We're going to your house to talk to your husband. He won't let you in. Yes, he will. Climbed up the stairs and banged on the door and said, my name is Dr. Maxwell Moss and I'm a cosmetic surgeon go away he said I will not 
go away. I will not. And he said, look, mister, your wife has just come to see me and wants me to disfigure her face so she will look like you. And then you will accept her. And the latch and the bolt were drawn back on the door. And he stepped out. You see, Jesus came to this earth to establish the kingdom of heaven, an expression and a way of life that we barely understand, and he took on our appearance. Like the prodigal son, we need to forget our pigpen pig mentality and realize that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. And our credentials are the Lord's Prayer. And it will be a wonderful day when we are in the earth made new, the kingdom of heaven.